Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey Stormy Nogreiner. Stay away from... I was going to say stay away from That might not be a good thing to say. <laughs> We're going to put that in there just so you can tick off some more of our listeners, Corey. <laughs> okay. Should we talk about you? Oh man, if you're thing at this point, we've got two stories coming out of Microsoft's Patch Tuesday. That do involve uh, storms and have nothing to do with the stormy in my name. Exactly. Now, the first one being a an actual incident involving Microsoft, and the second being an unpatched zero-day vulnerability in Microsoft Office that has exploded in the wild. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and storm our way in. I'm raging lightning thunder. So let's start with our uh, first news story for the day. Uh, I guess both of these stories involve Microsoft. Today is uh, not dunk on Microsoft Day because actually they've had good responses for both of these, but uh, shine a light on some Microsoft Activity Day. <laughs> I guess that makes sense because we're recording this, what, relatively soon after Patch Tuesday for the yeah, yeah. month of July, week. which is when most of the Microsoft stories do tend to come out. Um, yep. This first one, though, uh, started on Tuesday with a Microsoft uh, published post on their corporate blog titled Microsoft mitigates China-based threat actor Storm 0558 targeting of customer email. Uh, so the post was basically all about this particular threat actor, uh, which we'll get into in a second, and some activity that Microsoft uh, had reported to them that they investigated and then mitigated after the fact. And this is less of a discussion about like vulnerabilities and more about an actual, honestly, incident that occurred at Microsoft that they were made aware of and uh, ended up having to take care of. So to start with, uh, Corey, do you remember our threat actor nomenclature and what storm means? This is a more difficult question. Mm -hmm. I thought I knew that I... It did, is it related to China? I feel like there was another one related to China. Now so tell me what Storm is. Can be anything. Storm oh, no. is a threat actor that they have not determined or at least turned into a specific like threat actor category, like Typhoon, whatever, like Volt Typhoon or I see. Uh, whatever the heck, Russia's Blizzard, I think. So yeah. Storm is it's a cluster of related activity that they've pieced together with other activity. Um, and uh enough where they they can find similarities with previous activity but not enough to say this is definitively a brand new group unrelated to any of the other groups that we see so storm 0558 is a china-based threat actor um, that they have some history on so historically they've targeted government agencies in western europe they primarily focus on espionage and data theft and then gaining credentials in order to obtain that data theft um, so not enough info to say, you know, this is a new group separate from Volt Typhoon or whatever, um, but enough to at least piece together multiple unique attacks over the past few years. So the story starts in on June 16th uh, when a Microsoft customer uh, in Microsoft's post, it's a unnamed customer, uh, reported anomalous mail activity that triggered an investigation. So after investigating, Microsoft found that beginning on May 15th of this year, uh, Storm 0558 
gained access to email accounts in around 25 organizations, which included government agencies, as well as some related consumer accounts of individuals associated with those organizations. So think like, let's say, CIA.gov, and then some individuals' personal like Outmail, Out, Outlook, not Outmail, <laughs> Hotmail and Outmail, whatever, <laughs> Outlook uh, accounts uh, that are associated with individuals that work at those companies. Uh, so their blog post didn't go into a whole bunch of details, but they did note that they gained access by forging authentication tokens using an acquired Microsoft account, so MSA account, a consumer signing key. So before we get into the signing key portion of it, um, MSA accounts in Microsoft, this is their consumer side. This is like handling authentication for Xbox, uh, Outlook.com, any consumer-facing services. It's separate from the Azure AD side and enterprise side of like uh, Exchange Online for like WatchGuard as an organization. Um, so they, and then the MSA signing key, it's uh, used to sign and verify authentication tokens. So think like a JSON web token within an organization. This is the private key will sign that. And then the public key or other shared keys can verify that signature across Microsoft services. So pausing here, basically they said that Storm 0558 gained access to this signing key within the, the consumer side of things. And then they were able to use that key to basically just create their own arbitrary JSON web tokens or whatever token they use in order to access users' mailboxes. They didn't like compromise user passwords. They didn't compromise a credential related to just that account. They effectively had a golden key to all Microsoft services or customers if they wanted to, but they used it in this very narrowly targeted, targeted. scope. Yeah, how, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's a pretty big deal, getting a hold of one of Microsoft's signing keys. You got to wonder how that happened. Exactly. It's got to be a, I mean, you have to imagine it like Microsoft, these keys are probably heavily protected. Yeah, you and, would, I, I would think Microsoft would use a, what's the, the called, the HM, the big old key server security module. Yeah, S HSM, yeah. Yeah, so either a mistake or internal compromise or you know some secret being pushed somewhere where it shouldn't have been. Like those are all the possible avenues to get a hold of this this key. Um so moving on a bit, Microsoft they said they blocked all of their access. No additional customer action is required for many Microsoft users. They've already contacted the targeted organizations and given them information, and if you have not been contacted, you were not impacted. Um, so this isn't the end of the story though. Uh, the day afterwards, uh, CISA published their own advisory titled enhanced monitoring to detect APT activity targeting outlook online, uh, where CISA says that it was actually a U.S. federal civilian executive branch agency. So FCEB, uh, that identified this suspicious activity in their own Microsoft 365 environment and then reported it to Microsoft. So Microsoft didn't name them, but it's CISA saying it was a U.S. government civilian agency that saw some suspicious activity, reported it to Microsoft, and they ultimately investigated. Uh, so specifically, they said they observed uh, in their audit logs uh, events of the event type mail items access, 
with a unexpected client app ID and app ID. So if you've got a uh, an E5 license or what do they call it, Purview, their um, compliance and auditing license platform, you have some additional access logs that you can get within Exchange Online. Those logs include this mail items access to one. Basically, anytime a mailbox, a message, anything within a user's account is accessed or touched through an event, it generates an additional audit log in here. And those audit logs include information like the client ID that's connecting. So the executive branch agency noticed that the app ID did not match IDs of normally that normally access their environment. So it was basically an anomaly that raised a red flag. They investigated, contact CISA and Microsoft, and they ultimately found that it was this compromised Microsoft credential that allowed the access. Um, one thing CISA pointed out in their advisory was uh, that CISA and the FBI are not aware of any other audit logs or events that would have identified this activity, which I, I want to put a little bit of onus on Microsoft here in that I don't really like the idea of locking audit logs behind additional licensing. Yeah, yeah. So I understand you had that to pay to see the one long that could have seen this. And by the way, it's still yeah. obscure because this is really, I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is legitimate. <laughs> it was signed by a valid key. The only anomaly is the fact that you would know to say, oh, wait a second, that doesn't look, that's a, a different app ID than I'm used to. <laughs> so it's, yeah. So anyways, the fact that it is detectable only by anomaly, but then you have to pay to get the login to even see that anomaly. Wow. And like as a security vendor, I, I understand likely their reasoning for it. And it's that, yes, cloud storage is cheap, but cloud storage is not free. And yeah. data egress fees are not we free. We do have to do the same. For, yeah, for sure. And so if you've got like, if these audit logs, which they're literally logging every single time, like anything in a mailbox is touched, that's going to generate a lot of logs. It's going to take a lot of data. If you're piping that out to your SIM application, that's going to cost Microsoft a lot of egress data fees. So I I understand, but at the same time, I, I don't. I just I don't like the idea of locking either security features or auditability behind an additional paywall. It's kind of similar to like some SaaS applications you see where you can't even use MFA in some circumstances without like an enterprise license. There's still a few of those floating around. So I don't know. That's my one kind of complaint or concern on this one. It would be nice to be able to get full audit logs, but coming from a security vendor and seeing the other side of the coin, I do at least understand that the cloud, the cloud expense makes sense, but uh, then Microsoft should offer some sort of offline off option too. So I, so I get the cloud expense, but you know, if they don't offer offline option, if their strategy is to move only to the cloud, they're kind of forcing it. So in CISA's point, their article was all about, it was geared towards other agencies, basically saying, Hey, if you're not already doing logging and auditing with your environment. This is why you need to. Um, it points to, they've got a, a technical reference architecture that they call SCUBA, S-C-U-B-A. Uh, which sure it is, doesn't stand for the SCUBA we are thinking of. <laughs> no, uh, it's like secure cloud something business apps. So securing cloud business apps, I think. And they just threw you in there because it's fun. Um, tangent, <laughs> I talked to a... 
that works at CISA, I go to some events with him pretty frequently, or at least we pop up at the same events. And my favorite quip from him is that the only way to get promoted within the federal government is to come up with an acronym. So it makes sense that we have things like SCUBA floating around there. Um, but so if you're not familiar with it, SCUBA is this reference document. It's like 20 or 30 pages long that basically outlines at a high level how you should architecture your access and monitoring of cloud applications geared towards federal agencies, but useful for really anyone, much like CISA's other guidance. Um, in terms of other recommendations, so they recommend separating admin accounts, basically only allow designated admin accounts for admin purposes, meaning if you need domain admins, which you likely do, don't let those be your daily driver accounts for your IT team. Have them use a lower privileged account, and if they need admin access, log in and use that other account specifically for that and only that. Kind of limits your uh, blast radius if an account becomes compromised. Um, they also tell agencies, make sure you're collecting and storing logs, preferably in what they call a telemetry hosting platform, parentheses, SIM. Uh, and then review contractual relationships with all cloud service providers to make sure those contracts include security controls uh, that you deem appropriate, appropriate monitoring and logging of provider managed systems, appropriate monitoring of service provider presence, activities and connections, and then notifications of confirmed or suspicious activity. I want to pause on that call out. That I, feels I, like I was a... going to pause you if you didn't say it only because we're talking about Microsoft. I mean, I, I agree that you should confirm security controls for contractual relationships. We've talked a lot about vendor validation and trust. But while, while the old pop pops like me that go back with Microsoft 20 years ago might think of Microsoft as insecure, I would assume right now you did vendor validation, they have SOC certifications, ISO cert, they, they'd probably show up good. And yet this happened to them. So it's like, uh, yes, I do want to validate that the people are doing the right thing. And hopefully for the most part, Microsoft did, but this happened. <laughs> so it's, honestly, it's weird. <laughs> it feels like a little bit of CISA throwing shade at Microsoft. And yeah. that they're specifically calling out, make sure that your vendor you're working with has appropriate monitoring to catch this suspicious activity. When the reality, they're saying that because CISA Maybe is the they're one not that caught it caught because it. they're yeah, looking yeah. at these uh, audit and logs they were, they they got, to tell Microsoft. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, it, probably looking is a key deal. I bet you Microsoft has all the audit logs. But on the flip side, uh, they have a, the CISA's monitoring probably a small amount of government ones, and this happened to target government. Microsoft has these on scales of, you know, millions and millions of customers. So it's hard to catch that one ID for the one client, app ID for the one client that showed up slightly different. So I, I get CISA throwing shade, but and yet it would, it's still, this, this is really legitimate other than suddenly there was a new app ID with a new signed MSA or whatever, right? So it, it's a hard to monitor for thing. And when you're monitoring so many clients, um, I, I see it both ways. To me, it actually, <laughs> it hurts hope because I, I know that Microsoft, no huge corporation because of bureaucracy and size is perfect. We all have gaps and we all have to, you know, fill them one at a time when we find them. But Microsoft 
probably has a little more money to spend on monitoring tools than the average small SaaS business. So if Sys is throwing shade at Microsoft for imagine every tiny SaaS vendor that you use, tiny in comparison to Microsoft, big names to you. Uh, do they have a hope of doing this when someone steals one of their legitimate keys, uh, legitimate golden keys, and they don't know yet? It's, wow, this is a big issue. Yeah. But I mean, you can at least take some abstract recommendations from this of setting a baseline of what normal activity looks like wherever you can. For, for yourself, for you. <laughs> yeah. But even that, Mark, I, we're, we're trying to help uh, smaller customers, too, with, with uh, let's say, SMBs and mid-markets by, you know, we're not there yet, but moving towards XDR and having a, what did they call it? I mean, we basically called it a SIM, but a telemetry hosting system for lots of things, at least all WatchGuard products and maybe in the future other things, too. And that becomes your telemetry hosting system that also can catch anomalies. But the like we know what it takes to implement a sim, how long it takes to get all kinds of different things into it, feeding all that different telemetry, all very different devices, all with different levels of telemetry parsing and normalization, all with additional work you have to do to make sure that the telemetry is normalized and that we have rules and correlations that actually work to find these anomalies. I. It's easy to say use telemetry hosting system that has anomaly detection. It was not easy to set up an enterprise grade SIM and <laughs> do all the tuning necessary to get it to find some stuff. And I think you and I know it's an ongoing process too. There's things <laughs> we still don't have it tuned exactly for. So it's it's a needle in a haystack problem, man. Yeah, I hear you. And to round this one out, like it sounds like there was actually a bug involved too. So we mentioned the key that was stolen was from the consumer side of things, which Microsoft says the MSA side, the consumer side, and the Azure AD side, the enterprise side, their key systems are issued and managed separately. Uh, and they should only be valid for their respective systems. So not only but, did they get a valid key, but there was a token validation issue that let them use that MSA consumer key side for in the Azure AD side as well too. Yeah. So this sounds like a pretty dang sophisticated or at least entrenched threat actor to be able to gain that level of access. They, they definitely the understood Microsoft's you know technical details of their web platforms and to be able to break into even the consumer side to get this key seems. I wonder and if it's insider they, too. I mean, we always. It is true that the vast majority of attacks, according to things like uh, the, the Verizon data, you know, breach investigation report, are external. But but when you start to get to this level of things and thinking about the, t you know, I Microsoft has two hundred and twenty-one thousand employees. So yeah, yeah, there's a chance that there's a bad apple in there. Yeah, so it, it could this this gets to the level where I wonder if it's insider, and especially when you start talking state sponsored, where you know we've worked with authorities that make it very clear that there's certain. In fact, the country we mentioned, China, uh, spends decades uh, people coming to school for America, working at uh, U.S. businesses for a long time before exfiltrating data. So you never know. By the way, all of that was speculation. We don't know how it happened. It's just uh, this could be one that leans towards the insider threat. Yeah, it 
that is the level of access that might even be required to get this type of token too. Either that or like a pretty horrible mistake. It would horrible be it like would be negligence, huge otherwise huge just bad mistake or wow. <laughs> yep. Insider access. And it also shows like Storm 558. They they had a key to the kingdom for all Microsoft, but they were still like patient enough just to use it in this very targeted manner. It's where the, I know it's for persistence, but that's kind of where the P and APT comes from. I mean, it takes, but but it's this, this is true of the, that level of threat actor, right? We talk about not burning zero day. When you have a huge zero day, it takes discipline, not just, especially if it's a huge one, like a golden key that lets you get into any <laughs> Microsoft Exchange account. Uh, it takes a lot of discipline not to burn it, but they do that on purpose because that's where they can spend all the time in the world to get the best value out of that going after, as they did, government customers or yep. whatever their biggest target is. So, yeah, it sounds like it's on the scale of the top espionage, scary hacks. Absolutely. Uh, so you mentioned Zero Day there. That's a great segue into our next segue. story. Uh, so also last Tuesday, Microsoft and Google Tag, their, what is it, threat analysis group, uh, researchers from both of their departments published blog posts about an unpatched zero-day vulnerability in Microsoft Office that was being exploited in the wild. So the vulnerability it's tracked is CVE 2023-36884. Now, I'm sure everyone remembers that. Uh, it doesn't have a fancy marketing name yet. I'm actually surprised. But maybe someone can coin that. Uh, so it's described as a remote code execution flaw in various Microsoft Office apps. So Microsoft in their blog post pointed to Storm 978, uh, which is a Russian cybercrime group known to conduct opportunistic ransomware attacks and credential gathering uh, to facilitate other so intelligence. Storm, uh, the reminder that I now remember is when it's just a generic storm, it could be any country. Our first one yep. above was China. This one is Russia. But it just means they haven't exactly attributed the actor other than having a guess of the location. Exactly. The, they haven't attributed to an actor or with enough confidence that it's separate from already named actors is, I think, like the high level description of it. So, it, um, could, so it could be an, an actor they know about. They just yep. haven't got enough TTPs to tie it for sure. Exactly. So Storm 978, they're responsible for the rom-com backdoor, as well as a ransomware one. variant called the Underground. Um, lately, they've done a lot of phishing operations with lures tied to Ukrainian political affairs. They target primarily military defense and government bodies in Europe and the US. Uh, they noted, though, so Storm 978 is kind of interesting. They have like two, they're, it's the same org, but they've got two separate kind of uh, uh, attack patterns, I guess. They've got one that's focused on espionage and intelligence gathering. And then they've got another one that's focused on opportunistic ransomware. So they, Microsoft notes that their ransomware activity, it's largely opportunistic, but entirely separate from their espionage related targets. They use the same tools. They use the same like initial access tactics. Um, but the end objectives are completely separate depending on who they're going after. Uh, when it comes to some of their TTPs, uh, they commonly use Trojanized software, including Adobe products, uh, a tool called Advanced IP Scanner, various SolarWinds products, uh, KeyPass, and Signal. 
uh, to distribute their Trojanized versions. They will go register malicious domains that mimic the legitimate software. So they gave an example of it was advanced-ip-scanner instead of whatever the legitimate website is. Um, and then they also commonly identify and exploit zero-day vulnerabilities like this CVE we just mentioned. So for this specific example, it was starting in June 2023, uh, Microsoft found a phishing campaign associated with Storm 978 that contained a fake OneDrive loader to deliver a backdoor. The phishing campaign it was primarily directed towards defense and government agencies in Europe and North America. Uh, they gave some examples of the emails. It was all related to Ukraine's efforts to join NATO. One of them was titled like Invitation to NATO Summit 2023. Another one was like talking points related to Ukraine joining NATO. Uh, but all of the emails led to an exploit of CVE 2023 36885. Um, now, 884. Uh, attack patterns. So this espionage activity targeting Ukrainian organizations and then separate ransomware activity that targeted a specific organization with the same initial payloads. So they're using the same TTPs, but like one arm is ransomwareing, the other arm is stealing information. Uh, so the vulnerability, the details are actually pretty light. Google Tag promised to publish details in 30 days along with their vulnerability disclosure policy for actively exploited flaws. Um, because it is currently unpatched, Microsoft obviously didn't post any information. Uh, they did note that so customers who use Microsoft 365 apps version 2302 and later are protected. Uh, everyone else is unprotected. Uh, there's a mitigation, a couple mitigations you can use. Uh, so there's a registry called Feature Block Cross Protocol File Navigation, uh, where you can add various Microsoft applications like Word, PowerPoint, whatever to this key to effectively block them from launching other processes. They also recommend uh, using the block all office applications from creating child processes, uh, attack surface reduction rule within Windows, basically stopping Microsoft Word from launching anything else. Uh, one thing to note, uh, just from, I wanted to do this internally at WatchGuard, but macros, uh, legitimate macros, can commonly launch external processes for legitimate use, like run a bash script somewhere. And this will stop that from working. Uh, so you have to be aware that it might break a bunch of legitimate stuff if you just straight up block office processes from launching other processes. That said, though, if you've got a SIM and your own threat hunting capabilities, like this is a, a type of detection I think you absolutely must alert off of. Like Microsoft Word launching command shell, PowerShell, uh, w scripting engine. All of these are suspicious enough that they warrant investigation, even if it turns out to be someone in your finance department using a macro. Uh, if you don't have a SIM, there could there are endpoint products. I, I, by the way, I haven't done the research to make sure we catch this, but things like the W script execution, uh, for instance, our, our EDR and EPP pays attention to WScript. It's it's more on the contextual side of things because there's obviously legitimate use of it too, but it can at least from an endpoint level sometimes trigger off that. Now, it's uh, when you're getting down to the endpoint, 
you know, it's, it may be the type of thing that doesn't have enough confidence to just stop anything from happening. So it may, may more be an indicator you can look for in your, you know, a suspicious indicator that might alert to you and maybe a IOA or something. Uh, but you can, if you don't have a SIM, check out your endpoint products too. Although remember anytime you're trying to prevent something at the endpoint, you're literally catching it at the last minute. So it looks like for this particular campaign, they typically launch in uh, packet, which is like a Python tool suite for interacting with windows, uh, like through WMI or SMB uh, execution. And Impacket is a tool that at least WatchGuard should be, VR yeah. catches very easily. That, 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 would, that would be seen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, either way, uh, still, as of right now, unpatched. Uh, there are mitigations available. There's the advisory, CVE 2023-36884. And what, 30 days from now, I'm looking forward to talking about the details about this once uh, Google Tag publishes all the nitty-gritty analysis. By the way, we can't forget just the education of letting your users to know to be suspicious of Office documents they don't expect. These are obviously relatively tricky phishing, spear phishing-ish. They're, they're getting good at making you want to open something. But if internal too, but for sure, if you're getting Office documents from an external thing you don't know, and the topic of the email is something you don't care about. Like, don't open solicitation with an email, a, a Word document. It's just it's a waste of your business time even to pay attention to solicitation anyways. But Especially if you're being invited to NATO. Chances are you probably are <laughs> Yeah. So just uh, be very careful with opening documents that are being sent from email. If it's internal at least, and you're not expecting it, at least check up and make sure the person is really sending it to you. Because this seems like a potential scenario where even the Microsoft, what is it like safe sources or their macro yeah. blocking might not actually work might if it's an work. exploited the application itself. So yeah, if we're like a zero day, yeah, macro blocking specifically wouldn't work. And most, I guess there's a chance we have to wait 30 days, but I would suspect that's the case, right, Mark? And even for the macro blocking ones, like we've told you many times, don't. Think about it before you enable editing. Think about it before you enable macros. But just don't open the document if you don't need it and don't know what it is. There's just no reason. Yep. Always confirm through other communication channels and say, hey, was this actually you? Sometimes taking some time to pick up the phone and call can be the difference between you executing malware and... Actually, Granted, if I, if I told that to my younger daughters, they just, uh, for some reason, calling is horrible to them. They'll text all day long, but if I call, they won't answer. I think I'm young enough. I'm actually on that cusp. I hate phone calls. I, much rather <laughs> I hate phone calls too, but I can still do it. <laughs> Fair. Yep. So either way, quite yeah. a bit of Microsoft going on. Uh, make sure you take a look at their mitigation guidance because a patch is not available. And as we've seen with other zero-day uh, exploits in the wild just because it's they've got mitigation guidance doesn't mean that other people aren't going to figure out how to exploit it man happy tuesday <laughs> hey everyone thanks again for listening as always if you enjoyed today's episode don't forget to rate review and subscribe if you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics i've been told i'm not supposed to make fun of twitter anymore 
So you can find <laughs> us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey is at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag the 443 podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week. I wonder if someone's already stolen Secadep on threads. I better go check. Uh, I opened it up, saw I had to use my Instagram, and then decided to close it down. I did the same exact thing. Yep. <laughs> Instagram is for private use, not for uh, the shit talking I do on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs>